Father in heaven, we are grateful for um, the Sabbath hour. And Lord, we have worshipped you in song. Uh, we have worshipped you in our offerings and in the tithe. And now, dear God, we, we want to sit at your feet and, uh, and to hear a word from you. Lord, there, there are so many of us in this room, each one with different needs. Each one needs something different. And there is no mortal that is capable of, of meeting the needs of all in this room. You're the only one that can do that. And so, Lord, as we come to you, we, we want to thank you for the precious blood of Jesus, for his sacrifice on our behalf. And we pray for that precious blood to wash away our sin, for his righteousness to cover us that we may enter be ushered into your presence. We pray for the outpouring of your spirit, for your angels to walk up and down these aisles to impress our hearts with the things you would have us to, to listen to and then to think about the rest of this day and this week. Be our teacher, we pray. We thank you for this. And I pray again, Lord, that you will truly hide this instrument behind the cross, that Jesus and him only will be seen, heard, and felt. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We are learning about the plan of salvation in the sanctuary, which God gave to his ancient people Israel, that they will understand God's plan to save a fallen world. They, of course, were to share that with others, and I hope that we are doing the same as we're learning about this plan. And we're, we have learned that in the outer court, we learn how to become a Christian, the gate represented Christ. We come to Christ who says, Come unto me, all ye that are burdened heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We learn that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is our sacrifice. We learn that he is the fountain of living waters. And here we commit our lives to Jesus. So the outer court teaches us how to become a Christian. The holy place we're learning teaches us how to remain a Christian. And in the menorah, we learned about the lesson of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit takes what Christ did at the cross and applies it to the life as he brings Jesus into the life. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit is that transforming power. Last week, uh, we studied about the table of showbread and we learned that Jesus is the bread of life. And, and we learned about the word of God and we learned that the Holy Spirit works in harmony with the word to transform our life, that there is power in the word to transform a sinner into a child of God. Today, we're going to look at the third component um, in the holy place, which is the altar of incense, also known as the golden altar. And interestingly enough, in the work of the priest that took place in the outer court and the holy place, it was the work at the golden altar that brought the priest closest to God. It's very significant. Tuck that away from the back of your mind. The priest, of course, uh, was involved every day in an, acti in an, an activity that, uh, that the Bible refers to as the daily. It was the activities that took place every day. And the sanctuary, what, what inaugurated the services for today was a lamb that was... Uh, that was given as an offering on the brazen altar. It was a complete offering. It was known as a burnt offering. It actually was an offering of dedication because all of it was used. 
It was an offering of dedication. And, um, and then we know that the priest would go to the labor to wash his hands and feet before he ministered at the altar or in the tabernacle. Then we know that the priest would make sure that there was oil in the menorah because that light was never to go out. And he made sure every week that there was bread, fresh bread, the bread of presence on the table of showbread. And then each morning and each evening, as the offering of dedication was given in the morning that, that inaugurated the beginning of the service, it also ended the service for the day, the priest would come and put incense on the golden altar. And that incense was a sweet-smelling savor unto God. And as I mentioned, it was his work at that altar that actually brought him closer to God than anything else he did in the daily service. Can you imagine what that must have been like? To approach that altar and know that just a few feet away was the presence of the Almighty. The only thing that stood between you and he was this veil. You know, brothers and sisters, that's true for us today. God is with you. There is this veil that hides him from us, but he is right there beside you. I, I often wonder what must have gone through the priest's mind. You know, we mentioned the fact that the menorah was the only light source in the holy place, but if you notice, the, the veil that separated the holy from the most holy didn't reach all the way to the ceiling. And so the light of the presence of God in the most holy would spill over. I, I can't help but wonder, could you, you think you, maybe you could feel God's presence? Do you think that he felt something as he drew closer to that veil to lay the incense on there? I, I tend to believe that he did. I believe he did. The golden altar, much like the other furnishings, was designed for travel. It was made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And it was a, a cubit wide, a cubit long, and two cubits high. For us, it was two and a half feet long, two and a half feet wide, and three feet tall. The only thing that went upon it in the morning and evening sacrifice was that sacred fire that was originally kindled by God on the brazen altar, and of course, the prescribed incense. That incense was a form of encouragement because God said it was a sweet-smelling sweet fragrance to him and it would waft through the camp. And so this morning, we're going to learn what is the lesson of the altar of incense? What was it, what was it supposed to communicate? What were we to learn? And how is it that it is the third component in our walk with God? Let's begin with question number one. You should all have your lessons with you. Questions number one says, who was to offer the incense on the altar? In Exodus 30, verse 7 and 8, it said, first word, Aaron. Thank you for, for speaking out there on, on that highlighted word. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. And as I mentioned before uh, already, that in the daily services, what inaugurated and ended the services 
was a, a sacrifice of consecration. And so while the, the priest was doing this, what were the people supposed to be doing? Let's take a look. Question number two. What did the multitude do at the hour of incense in the morning and evening service? Luke 1, 9, and 10 said, According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot, speaking of Zechariah in this story, fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So picture this for a moment. Life in Israel at the time, at Bible time. Each morning, as the Israelite began his day, he began his day by facing the temple. As the priest would then offer the the sacrifice of dedication, the burnt offering, the Israelites would bow their heads and dedicate themselves to God at the start of the day. That's how life began in Israel each morning. And then it ended the same way as they rededicated themselves to the Lord. Now the priest played the role of mediator. As the people were out there facing the temple and rededicating themselves, the priest then would administer the incense. And he played the role of mediator between God and man. Keep the imagery in mind. We're going to revisit this. Let's continue. Number three, and let's begin the process now of unpacking this. What did the incense symbolize? Now, <clears throat> in we have learned that David was a student of the sanctuary. He recognized that it had the answers of life there. He recognized the plan of salvation. And so David recognized what the incense represented. In Psalms 141, verse 2, he said, Let my prayer be set before you as incense. That incense, the ingredients of that incense was actually put together by God, instructed, and it had a sweet-smelling savor. You see, there was a message there that when the child of God presents their heart-earnest request before the Father, that to him it is a sweet aroma. Isn't that precious? It is sweet to him. And, and as the children of Israel would smell that incense wafting to the camp, it was a reminder that God heard their prayer. It was a reminder. Number four, who does Paul say the priest represents? In 1 Timothy 2.5 it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus. Is that not awesome? Can you say amen to that? Amen. You know, I, I belong to a denomination that told us there were many mediators. And, uh, and we prayed to various images to mediate for us. But the Bible says that we have only one mediator. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but Paul fleshes this out for us a little more in Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 when he writes, but he, referring to Jesus, because he continues forever as an unchangeable priesthood, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he ever 
lives to make intercession for them. Can you say, thank you, a fellow Catholic. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) A fellow ex-Catholic, I should say. You know, there are several things in this verse that really stand out to me. You know, take a look uh, where Paul says, therefore he is able to save to the othermost. You realize, of course, that Paul could have said, he is able to save those who come to him, those who come to God through him. He could have said that. Would he not have been correct? Yes, but he doesn't leave it there. He says he is able to save to the uttermost. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying no no matter how far you have fallen, God can reach down deeper still. That's what he's saying. He is a bigger savior than you are a sinner. That's what that text is saying. I love that. And then I love the fact that it says that he ever lives to make intercession for them. Have you ever known people who have said things like, I just live for, I don't know, brownies? <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. Or, or maybe a, a vacation spot. I just live for that place. You know, what they're trying to describe something that's just this, the it for them, right? Well, Jesus tells us his it. He ever lives to make intercession for them. It is the joy of our Lord and Savior, our high priest in heaven, to intercede for you and me, my friends. It's not a burden to him. It's not a nuisance to him. He lives for it. I am so thankful. We have one mediator. I love that. You don't have to go through the pastor. You don't have to go through the priest to get to Christ. You can go directly to him. You can do that. You already have a great high priest. And if you need forgiveness, go to him for it. Don't go to man. Go to him. He is our heavenly high priest. Now, what we're talking about here, as I mentioned, is a third component of our walk with God, the third component of remaining a Christian. And what that is, is prayer. The golden altar is a call for you and I to make prayer a daily part of our communion with Christ. So let's take a look at this call, the call to prayer, and let's see what we can learn here. Number number five, what is God's invitation to you and I? I love this, found in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Don't give up, friends. That's what he's saying. Hang on. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So as a result, let us therefore come boldly. Why? Because we've got somebody there that understands. Did you hear me? We've got someone there that has been there and done that. He understands. There is nothing on your mind that's going to surprise him. He understands. Let us therefore come boldly or confidently to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in tide of need. You know, it's wonderful to know that when I go to my knees to ask God for help on something or to pour out my anguish, I am actually talking to someone who's been there. 
I don't know if you can really grasp that. Have you ever gone through a grief, an overwhelming grief in your life, and you've shared it with someone who hadn't been through that experience? And it wasn't long after they started talking that you realized you had really wasted your time in talking and sharing this with them. You've been there? Yeah, but you've also opened your heart to someone who has been through your grief. And as they began to talk to you, you knew full well they had been there. They knew exactly. I remember the day that I was passing a kidney stone. That's really not a fun uh, experience. In fact, I passed seven of those things. Three of them landed me in the ER. And um, I remember the first time I went to the ER with this uh, overwhelming pain. Um, that the, As soon as I, they wheeled me in, man, these guys, they were guy nurses, they were all around me, and they were trying to make me comfortable, and they were reaching for syringes, and they were shooting me up with stuff that really made the pain go away. And I learned later they had, had, they had passed kidney stones. Now, the other two times I went, they hadn't. And I had waited a long, one time was four hours that way. There is a difference when you know you're approaching someone who has been there and done that. You know, it's amazing. I, I'm sure all of us have had or will have the experience when you will feel that God has totally bailed on you. You, if you haven't been there, friend, you will. You will be there when you, when you feel that all of a sudden your world is crushing in and you cry out and the heavens seem like brass. Did you know that Jesus was there too? On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the reality is his father hadn't. But the devil had interposed himself and it gave Jesus the impression his father had left I want you to remember that too. God has already promised, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. But just remember though that day, that, that when, when that day comes, that Jesus has been there too, so you can cry out to him. We have someone that understands. You know, it's amazing to me, do you realize that one day when we stand on that sea of glass and we surround the throne, there's going to be, the Bible describes, an innumerable number of the saved. And not one of them will be able to look Jesus in the eye and say, you don't know what I went through. Not one will be able to say that. In 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter gives us some advice. He says, cast all your care upon who? Him. And then he tells us why. For he cares for you. I mean, you know he does. I mean, the mere fact that heaven wasn't a place to stay when we were here lost, that he would enter into the cesspool to save you and me, that he gave his own life as a ransom to save you and me. Do you really think if you pray, he's not going to listen? He risks everything, eternal loss to save you and me, and he's not going to listen when we call upon him? Really? Don't listen to that voice, friend. Listen to the one that says, cast all your care upon him. You know, I want you to remember that prayer does not bring God down to us. It brings us up to him. That's what it does. That's what he wants it to do. Let's take a look at number six. Now let's learn more about prayer. Upon what condition are we promised needed blessings? 
Matthew 7, 7, 8, first word, ask and it will be given unto you and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Are you beginning to catch something here? The Lord God will not violate your freedom of choice. God will not barge his way into your life and mine. God is a perfect gentleman, and he waits to be invited in. You know, it's interesting, as I really contemplated that, I began to open my understanding to the way the battle between Christ and Satan are being fought. In, uh, in the world today, in, in, in the military, and I have Steve here, there's something that is referred to rules of engagement. The, the world, the nations come together, and they actually set up rules for how war is going to be fought. Were you aware of that? For example, during World War I, the Axis and the Allied forces hurled chemical weapons at each other. Were you aware of that? And a lot of young men died horrific deaths. When the war was over, these nations came together and they said, you know, let's not do that anymore. And when World War II came around, you don't see the forces, the various armies hurling those things at each other. That's rules of engagement. Well, in the battle between light and darkness, there are rules of engagement. God will not intrude himself into your life. God will only come on invitation. God respects our freedom of choice. This is extremely significant. On the other side, God withholds Satan from forcing himself into your life. So this whole thing is about choices. In other words, my dear friends, you and I invite one side or the other into our lives based on our choices. Let that settle in. And so for the Lord to intervene, we must ask for his intervention in our lives. Take a look at James 4.2. Yet you do not have because you do not ask again. God is appealing to us. You know, it's really interesting to me. Um, you know, when I think of God, I think of God as being very busy. What do you think? I mean, he's not out playing golf. You, 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 you don't have that picture, right? God is very busy. And so what the Lord is, in my mind, he's keeping galaxies from colliding into each other, right? I mean, he's like guiding the universe. Are you with me? And, and he's making sure that every atom that he, he has created stays in place so we don't go, Right? And, uh, and then he's really involved with really important people like President Trump or, or uh, uh, the, you know, the, the, the various leaders around the world. So the idea that I can't find my glasses and to ask God to help me find them, to me, was ludicrous. That I'm going to ask God to take the big time out from keeping the universe from blowing up so that he can help me find my glasses. But all that changed one day when I was uh, a computer uh, software trainer in, in Northern California, I was actually being trained to be one, and uh, I was in uh, the Bay Area, and it was the end of the day, and this was before the days of cell phone. My trainer wanted to make a phone call, and so we went to this enormous plaza, and the parking place was very similar 
to, let's say, the parking place of Walmart, and it was super busy. It was about 5.30, so cars were coming and going. It must have been near some holiday because the place was packed and, and crawling with people. And so as we drove up, she saw a payphone, and she says, hey, just stop right here. I'm going to run in and make a call. And there was nowhere for me to park, so I'm standing there waiting for her to make this call. And I look in the rearview mirror, and I see cars coming, so now I'm in the way, and so I have to drive through this maze, this morass of people and cars and honking and, and shopping carts, and finally I made my way around, and right to where she was, again, no parking place, and she's still yakking on the phone. And I'm like, oh, man. And I look in the rearview mirror, and here comes more cars. So here I went again, waving, wandering. It took me so long, I figured by the time I came back, she was off the phone. Nope. She was still on the phone, still in our parking place. And uh, a thought comes to my mind, pray for a parking place. Now I'm thinking to myself, God is trying to keep the universe from crashing into each other. He's dealing with the president, real important stuff, so the nations don't nuke each other, and he's going to find me a parking place. So I just dismissed the thought. Cars came behind me, had to go around again. So I, I'm back there again, still on the phone, still in our parking place, and the thought comes to my mind again, ask for a parking place. And it was really persistent, and I thought, God, is that you? Are you asking me to ask you for a parking place? I think that's totally ridiculous. Lord, you're too busy for that kind of stuff. I'm so embarrassed. And I thought, well, if that's you, I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I know you're busy. And if you, if you don't want to answer this, I get it. No worries. I, but you created the universe. And if you want to get me a parking place, you can get me one if that's what you want to do. So I'm asking, will you please get me a parking place? Because I think you're asking me to ask you. So thank you. Amen. I lift up I have, I have just lifted my eyes, and, and there was a, a pharmacy, that's where the, right next to where the payphone was, and those electric doors. As soon as I say amen, I look up, door opens, this lady walks out, looks me right in the eye. She just walks right over, and there's a Ford Mustang, she gets inside, starts it, backs up, and leaves, and I never even had to back up. Whoop. And I got the, right in front of the lady with the payphone. And I was stunned. I thought, does God really care about the little things in our lives? The answer is yes. You know, I have seen God answer us huge. Like just recently, we, we got this donation of $1.5 million to this church. That was a big answer to prayer. And we say yes, amen. But you know what really blows my mind is when God answers the little stuff. You know, and I have to share something with you. You know, we humans have kind of a greedy side. And the congregation said, thank you. And uh, I thought I had found the ticket to finding a great parking place. And uh, so I would go places and ask for these great parking places, and I wasn't getting them. And what I began to realize is that God answers our needs, not our greeds. And, um, and so, you know, what I began to get is the Lord was saying, no, actually, you need to walk two blocks today. You need some exercise. <laughs> That's your blessing for the day. And, and, and when I was a stay-at-home dad and I had my, my little guy, in a basket being there in uh, the southeast, near the coast, we'd get storms that would come and go. And sometimes I'd get caught with an umbrella, and, I'd say, and I had to go somewhere and say, Lord, if you can get me a good parking place, uh, I would really appreciate it, and I would get one. God provides our needs, not our greeds. In fact, it's really interesting, this very morning, as I was putting this message together, my wife, and this rarely happens, I'm usually the culprit, couldn't find her keys. Of course, she came to me because you figured I was the one that lost them. <laughs> That's okay. And, uh, 
And so I just assumed I had. <laughs> and so I started looking for my pockets, and they weren't there. And I said, you know, honey, let's ask the Lord. So we, we, we knelt and prayed, or I did, and asked God to help us. And all of a sudden, it flashed in her mind where they were. And I wasn't the culprit this time. <laughs> but, but God actually cares about the little things. Usually our problem is we wait till we run to the end of our resources, you know. And that is just the biggest waste of time. But God gives us the freedom of choice. You know, I like the note right below number six. It says, prayer is not our attempt to overcome God's unwillingness to help us. But rather, it is taking hold of God's willingness to do so. Is that not beautiful? Prayer is actually the opening of our heart to God like the way we do with a friend. Isn't that precious? That's, that's what God is like. Let's take a look at number seven. What has God promised to do with our need, with my needs? Philippians 4, 19 says, And my God shall supply what? All your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Right here, I can just give you testimony after testimony of God's faithfulness. I'm trying to settle in on a story to share with you. And I could very easily settle in on our building and planning committee as we were really hammering out the improvements of this building and kept running into difficulty after... I, I want to just say right now, I am so thankful for that committee. I have sat on many committees. I don't know that I've ever sat on one I've enjoyed more. And the reason being is because the, as we come around together as a group of, of, of believers, we don't come with an agenda. We're coming to know what God's will is. There's a lot of prayer that goes into that group. I'm here to tell you. And as we were praying, we kept running into all these obstacles. And finally, we just basically, Don is our chair. He said, look, gentlemen, these are our options. And none of them look good. And one of them was to sell the building. And we just looked at each other. And suddenly, as we kept grinding it down, it just came to that one thing, to sell the building. And even that option didn't look very good. I mean, it didn't, believe me. And we looked at each other. We were still at an impasse. And that's when all of a sudden the Lord opens the doors and moves on the heart of someone to donate property, 10 acres, that are worth $800,000, and then another 700000 to build a church, I mean a school. We, we just stood there absolutely amazed. But as we seek God in prayer, God has promised us to provide our needs, not our greeds, but to provide our needs, he has promised to do so. I want to share this one story with you. When I was living in Southern California and I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, I had a, my cousin's husband. I called him my uncle because he was much older than my cousin. Um, I think he was about close to, I think he was 19 years older than her. And so I called him my uncle. He was a Vietnam veteran. And he, he used to share with us some horrific stories. And he had never really given his life to the Lord. And I wanted to see him give his life to Christ. I prayed for him. I have to share more about that story one day. But anyway, um, Swollen and I had moved to North Carolina. We were living in our, little, our first house, moved into our first house. And uh, Roy had called me to congratulate me. He was like a father to me. You know, he, he shared with me how proud he was that here now we were homeowners. And uh, about two weeks later, I get a phone call that Roy, at age 49, had had a heart attack and died. And, and we were devastated. And my cousin didn't have a connection with Jesus, and I was very worried for her. 
and I wanted to fly out to minister to my cousin. So I, I went to my boss and I said, I just shared with my boss what had happened and he said, take the, take the time you need. Oh, praise the Lord. Now I had to figure out how to go out there. We had just bought a house. Sona and I didn't have much money. And we came together, we looked at resources and we figured we have $500 for me to get out in, in three days. So you all know how that works, right? It's not going to be 500 bucks. And so I went to the Lord and I said, this is all I have. And you know why I want to go. And you can get me there. But only if it will work to your glory. I have $500. So I began to make phone calls to the various airport, uh, airline companies. And, and that was taking too long. So I called the travel agent to ask her to help me. So she was, you know, looking around and she, she finally calls me. She says, look, I got this airline. They're willing to pay. You can pay 500 bucks, but you have to say that he is a blood relative for them to give you the ticket. $500. Wasn't that my criteria? And I sat there and I thought about it and I thought, do I have to lie for God to help me? I don't think God needs me to lie. So I said to the woman, I, ma'am, I, I don't think I can do that. And she said, you, you said 500. This is 500. And I said, yeah, but God wouldn't be pleased. She got annoyed with me, and that was the end of her. She didn't help me anymore. So anyway, as I was making phone calls, I looked at the, at the newspaper, and I was looking at that section where sometimes they have tickets. They usually had a whole slew. They only had one on that day, and it was from Wilmington to Ontario, the very airport, Ontario airport I had to fly into. And I went, Lord, that's you. But it was a one-way ticket. And I said, Lord, you get me there, you figure out how to get me back. And um, it, was, it was 250 bucks. So I called the lady who had the ticket, and I went and met her. And she gave me the ticket, and I was fist-pumping all the way home, 250 bucks. I still have 250 for God to get me back. And I got to the house, and I looked at the name. I don't know what I was thinking. My name wasn't on the ticket. It was this lady's name. And she was like from some Scandinavian country. I couldn't even pronounce whatever that was on there. I, I, I was like, I, I don't even know what that is. So anyway, I said, well, I said to the Lord, I actually held the ticket up to the Lord, and I said, I don't like this. My name's not on this. And uh, I said, this doesn't feel very honest to me. So <clears throat> I go to the airport, and I hand them, you know, the paperwork and stuff. This is before the days of TSA and all that. And, um, and so I, I walk away, and as I'm walking away, the first and only time this has ever happened to me, the, the ticket agent said, sir, can you come back? And my heart was in my throat. I turned around, I walked back, and he looked at me and he said, and he's, and he's looking at the documents, and he says, what's your name? And I thought, I'm toast. I can't even fake it. <laughs> and so I explained to the guy my situation. I told him what had happened, that my, 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 my cousin's husband had passed away, and the, the whole spiel. And he says to me, I'm sorry, but I can't let you get on the plane. You're not insured. This ticket is not in your name. I can't let you go. But what I can do is to find another ticket for you. I'm sure he could. So he got on the computer, and, and I thought, well, let me see what he finds. And he says, I got one here, round trip, uh, for $1,400. And so in my mind, I had already formulated what I was going to say. I was going to say, look, thank you kindly, but I gave it my best shot. It, it didn't work. It's okay. I already told my wife that I'd probably have to call her for her to come get me. So as I opened my mouth, to say that to him, I heard a voice say to me loud and clear, shut up. 
Now, I want to pause here. I really don't think angels talk that way. But if he had said, hush, I probably wouldn't have listened. Okay? He, I probably wouldn't have. He wouldn't have gotten my attention. But shut up got my attention. I was like, oh. And so I didn't say anything. I just stood there. And the guy wasn't looking at me. He was looking at the screen. Here's one for $800. I didn't say anything. Here's one for six. And he was getting mad. He was just getting really worked up and really irate. I don't know what that guy was hearing, but I wouldn't say anything. Here's one for five. Okay. Here's one right here. I'll make it look like you bought this thing two weeks ago. It's $250. You're going to be there two weeks, and you're coming back on this date. I gave him my... God has promised to provide all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He knows how to pull it off. He does. But we have to remember that when we pray, we have to ask for his will to be done and not ours. You and I do not know the end from the beginning. I remember my son the day, he was 10 years old, he came to me, and with a serious face, because of the buddies he was hanging out with, just real serious, he asked for a 357 Magnum. I thought, where did you learn about that? And as a good daddy, I said, no, you're not getting a 357 Magnum. And sometimes we ask for stuff that in our ignorance we don't realize it's to our hurt. And so we, anytime we ask, we have to remember to ask, not my will, but your will be done. He's daddy, and we're not. He knows what's best for us. But let's continue. Let's talk about conditions to answer prayer. Uh, we need to understand part of these rules of engagement, right? Number eight, how must one ask in order to receive? James 1, 6, and 7 says, but let him ask in what? In faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And again, in Hebrews eleven six, but without faith it is what? Impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, in the great controversy between Christ and Satan, one question that you and I must answer is this. Can God be trusted? All of us have to answer that. And, and it's easy to say yes when the sky is blue and there's food on the table and money in the bank. But when there isn't, when it really comes down to where the rubber meets the road, do we really trust him? And trust actually gives God permission to work in our lives. Do you realize that? But, but a lack of it will block it. And let's be honest. If we don't think God will pull it off, are we really going to even bother to ask him? Not likely. But when we ask, we need to believe that he's going to do it. I love the story of, uh, of, the, of the father who brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus. And the story is found in Mark chapter 9. You remember the story. He had brought his boy to the disciples to cast out the demon, and his disciples couldn't do it. Jesus shows up. The father walks up to him and says, Lord, if you are able, please cast out the demon. And Jesus looks at him and says, if you believe all things are possible. The father recognized that his lack of faith had just jeopardized the healing for his boy. What he says next has been a 
has been an encouragement to me over the years. He looks at the Lord and says, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Dear friend, you pray that prayer, and God is not going to turn you away. You, that's, that's an honest-hearted prayer. But pray the prayer. If you, you see that your faith is struggling, pray that prayer. Be honest before him. But trusting his love and his power jeopardizes our request. Let's remember that. So important. But we can always pray that honest prayer. Let's take a look at number nine. Under what conditions does the Lord hear prayer? In 1 John 3.22 says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. In Psalm 66, uh, 18, it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. We got to remember that God doesn't bless rebellion. You know, think about this for a moment. This is logical. If I'm doing what I know I should not be doing, if, I, if I'm doing what I know displeases God, and then I ask God for something and he blesses me, what is the message I just got? That what I'm doing really doesn't matter. God knows this. And so if he is to bless us while we're in rebellion against him, he's actually part of our deception. So in love, God says, you know, I really want to answer your prayer, but you have got a much larger problem and it's going to cost you your life if you don't address it. So let's focus on that and we'll get back to this other thing later. Does that make sense? God is too loving. So we have to recognize, so if there's something that I know is between my soul and my Savior, I have got to deal with that. And let's remember that God says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. I'm not worthy. Welcome to the club. None of us are. That's why it's called mercy. It's not about your goodness. You don't have any. It's about his. And Jesus has said, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It's not because we are good. It's because he is good. So, so we need to make sure everything's right between our soul and our Savior. You know, in fact, sometimes when I'm praying and I'm not getting an answer on something, I will then take inventory. Lord, is there something going on? Am I, am I doing something you're not happy with? Will you bring it to my attention? Sometimes he does, sometimes no. He's just telling me, you need to wait. And we don't like that word. Number 10. When praying, what must we do in order to be forgiven? Mark 11.25 says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, what? Forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. You know, I want, to, I want to share that right now in this room, this very often is the biggest problem we have. We, if we harbor bitterness or resentment towards anyone, it's because there's a lack of forgiveness. But pastor, you don't understand. They deserve it. You're right. They do. But so do we. You know, I, I remember somebody saying it this way, and I was practicing. I hope I say it right. Lord, help me. Forgiveness, our forgiveness towards someone else is the bridge we build that later we must cross to receive forgiveness from God. And, and I preached a whole message on this. You can go on the website. It's called Bridge Building. You can look at that message on forgiveness. But this typically is the biggest block to many times our prayers, is that there is someone we have refused to forgive, and yet we're, we're asking God to forgive us. Does that make sense? Let's make sure that we take care of that because a, a spirit of unforgiveness is contrary to the spirit of Christ. It really is. So let's take a look now at the time 
place and content of prayer. Number 11. What example did Jesus give of how to start each day? You know, Christ is our example, is he not? And in Mark 1.35, it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. This is how Jesus started his day every day. He began in communing with his father. You know, I used to set the clock to wake up, and I, I, then I had a friend named Jerry who shared with me that he asked God to wake him up every morning, and I started doing that. I discovered something. He wakes me up a whole lot earlier than Mr. Alarm Clock did. And, I, and it was very interesting. I don't know how many, how many, am I the only one who does that? Is there anybody else in this room that's done that? There's a few of you. Okay, I want to ask you a question. Have you noticed that on the days that he wakes you up extra morning, you had some big minefield in front of you that day that you weren't aware of? Is that not the truth? It's like the Lord was saying, hey, I know what's coming your way today. I, you need to spend extra time with me today. So, so true. In fact, I'll show you with you one story. When I was at, uh, at Wachita and I was teaching, um, I prayed for my students. And um, I, I knew what it was like to be an academy student. I knew the struggles. I knew the facades. Of course, we adults do that too. We're just better at it than the kids were. <laughs> that's when everybody says amen, but that's okay. And, and so on this particular morning, there's, there's this, I had these two guys that sat in the back of the class. I had to sit down and talk to them one day. It's a hilarious story. I had enough of their antics. And I was still trying to, see, you know, to, to work with Jesus to save these guys. And one of them was really driving me especially batty. And that morning, I was really praying. Lord, save this kid. Just particularly, the Lord put such a burden on my heart for that kid that morning. And um, so anyway, I'm going into class. I'm heading for classroom two, walking down the hallway. And a student gets my attention. I look. The bathrooms had, were metal, large metal doors. We had told the kids to be very careful because they opened into the hallway. When you open those doors, to be very careful. Well, on this particular day, he thought it'd be a great idea if he kicked the door open. Well, I was walking, and this kid, this the, one of the students, got my attention. I looked while well, just at the time this guy kicks the door, and that thing swung open. And you see the scar that Pastor Baute has right here. If you see that scar, that's when I got it. It got me right there. Now I had I knew the rule. I had seen the announcements not to do that. And as I'm sitting there, blood is coming, you know, just gushing. <laughs> uh, I, my blood pressure was going through the roof because I knew, and then I heard the voice of who did it. It was a kid I'd been praying for. And, and I'll be honest, at that moment, I was full on in the flesh. I just wanted to get a hold of his neck and wring it. And the Lord spoke to me, remember your prayer. And I said, oh God, I asked you to save this kid. And this is the way you're going to do it. <laughs> Small price to pay. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. And so he came over and he was so apologetic. The kid was just falling over himself. He was so sorry. And I said to him, son, it was an accident. Don't worry about it. Go to class. I'll take care of it. And he went. And I've seen him since a few times. And he always goes out of his way 
to talk to me. And there are times I'm combing my hair, I'll look at that scar, and I'll lift that young man up in prayer. I'll lift him up. But it all began by praying that morning for that kid. If I hadn't, that, that, that exchange may have resulted in that kid being eternally lost. So we need to begin our day with prayer. If you will, I want to digress here just a moment. Go to the back of your page of your study. And when I, uh, how, how many here, your mind wanders when you pray? You know, it's so funny. My wife, uh, about a week ago, looked at me and she said, you know, you really do have ADD. Um, I, I, my attention span is very, very small. And uh, it's not difficult for me to begin praying and end up with my Walmart list. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not the only one. Uh, or even sometimes falling asleep. And so I like uh, the sanctuary. Actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, is actually a model for prayer. It really is. And, uh, and, and only that, it actually teaches me how to approach God and prepares my heart. If you have your Bibles, open your Bible to Psalms 100. I want to show you this. King David, as I shared with you, who was a student of the sanctuary, uh, he, he taught Israel how to approach God. And and step one on entering the sanctuary, he actually taught the people how to approach God, how to enter into the sanctuary when you're going to come to worship God. And in Psalms 100, it's one we're all familiar with, but now put it in the context of the sanctuary. Psalms 100, if you're there, say amen. Verse one, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come bef before his presence with what? Singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. It's funny how sometimes we have to be reminded, right? We are his people, the sheep of his pastures. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And so as I begin my morning devotions, I begin by thanking and praising God for his goodness towards me for all the things he has done for me. It's real funny, by the way, as you praise and thank God, God gets bigger and your problems get smaller. Of course, if you murmur and complain about all the bad stuff happening in your life, the opposite happens. Problem gets bigger, God gets smaller. And then as I continue to move after praising God, I then come to the brazen altar. And there I ask God, is there anything between my soul and my Savior? I ask him to show me. If there is, I ask God, to forgive me, and then I, if I have to make restitution, I have to go. You know, the Lord may tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, you were not very patient with your wife yesterday. You need to make that right today, like now. Or maybe he'll say to me, you know, you could have spoken more gently to your children. Could have done that. Are you with me? God will reveal to me, and then i got to make those things right. When I get to the labor of water in my mind, I recommit my life to God. Lord, I give my life to you today. I'm your servant. Use me whichever way you deem best to the glory of your name. I re recommit my life to him. Then as I get to the menorah, I ask God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. See, the sanctuary is telling me what to pray for. And I'm asking the Lord, fill me, Lord, with the Holy Spirit that I may rightly represent you today. And then when I get to the table of showbread, remember the table of showbread was about, it was the reminder to Israel that God will provide our needs. And it is there that I, I, I give to God my list of things I need to do today. Now, if you're going to do this, have a pencil with you. Because God will, from time to time, bring something to your mind that you forgot, that you need to do today. 
And so I have my pencil as I'm, I'm going, Lord, I have this meeting today. Uh, I see this as being the biggest challenge. Uh, Lord, will you please get me through this situation or give wisdom to us? Uh, I'll go all the way down the list. Sometimes God says to me, or he'll bring to my mind, the fact that I can delegate that to somebody else to take care of. And so I'll do that. Uh, and then when I get to the golden altar in my mind, that's the place of intercession. And I begin praying for others. By the way, that's what we were doing during the 10 days of prayer. We were interceding. As you were bringing your prayer requests, we were interceding on your behalf. We are a nation of priests. And I intercede for others. I, I pray for my children. You know, since my kids were little, I've been praying for their spouse. I look forward. I look forward to the day that I meet them. But I've been praying. I'm going to tell them, I've been praying for you for decades. And I've been praying for their parents that they'll stand firm for the truth. They'll be courageous and uh, that their kids will, will, will be pure. And so I, I pray for others. I, I pray for my church family. I pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon my church family. Uh, as the Lord uh, presents to me individual needs or situations you're going through, I lift you up in prayer. I have a little list that I lift you all up in prayer. As you're wrestling with decisions, I'm asking God to give you uh, wisdom. I pray for my nation. I pray for the leaders of my nation. El, uh, President Trump needs prayer, friends. He doesn't need jokes. He needs prayer. Anybody in public office today needs prayer. I pray for the leaders of our, of our denomination. I pray for the leaders in the other churches. I pray for God to lead and to guide. Uh, so this is where I intercede. And then I, when I go into the most holy place in my mind, this is where I let my hair down with the Lord. And I open my heart to him and I share with him my dreams. I share with him the things that, that, that matter to me. Are you with me? And this is how I start my day each morning. Now, this isn't the best way to pray or the only way to pray, but if you if you got my attention span, it is a wonderful way to pray. So I, I leave that with you. I hope that's a blessing to you. Somewhere on the internet, I have fleshed this out. I put a whole sermon on just this, and um, you, can, you can find it, but it's, it's called the sanctuary prayer. But anyway, let's continue here on number 12. What did Jesus say concerning secret prayer? Matthew 6, 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the what? The secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I just think it is the coolest thing that the monarch of the universe wants to have a private audience with me. How cool is that? You know, I love my Father very much. And my dad had a really messed up home life. He just didn't know how to do the one-on-one. -on -one. He showed his love by working for us. We always had food on the table. We were always closed. I never really had time with my dad. But I have a heavenly father that wants to spend that time with me. That is so precious to me, to know that, that I have a, a father that wants to do. In fact, he says, I want you to call me father. How cool is that? But he wants that one on uh, intimate time. And, and many times when I, when I talk to the Lord in the morning, I go for walks and I talk out loud and that helps me to keep my mind from wandering all over the place. And so I talk out loud when I go places. But, but you know, there are other ways that we can talk to God. We can be in our bed and talk to God. By the way, you'll find that in scripture. Uh, you know, we can talk to God in our minds like when Nehemiah was standing before the king and the king uh, made, you know, asked him, hey, why, why aren't you looking so happy? He shot up a bullet prayer, and then he made his request to the king. You can talk to God in, 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 in any environment, and God will hear. But you know, I like to kneel when I can, because that shows respect to him. 
It shows he, he's due that respect. And not only that, but it's a reminder to me that I owe everything to him. And uh, so when I can, I kneel. But, uh, but God wants us. You know, uh, you know we, we have family prayer, right? And family prayer is very important, but it doesn't take the place of personal prayer. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. If there's no personal prayer, your family prayer will eventually fizzle out. Your family prayer, your personal time actually undergirds your family time. Did you catch that? Very important. It really is. Okay, what's our next one? Number 13. With what should our prayer be mingled? Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Why thanksgiving? Because he's already said he's going to hear you. He's going to get involved. I love that. You know that not too long ago, I was facing a real difficult situation and things did not look good for me. I laid it before the Lord in prayer and it suddenly dawned on me. He heard me. He's going to take care of this. I was praising his name. And you know what? He did. He took care of it. We got to remember, dear friends, that that when, when we, we thank him, we're showing confidence in him. I remember the day I was walking with my dear Sarah. Sarah was about three years old. It was one of those moments when mom entrusted her to me. Probably shouldn't have because my mind is usually in 10 different places. And as we're walking, we're, in, um, we're at Union College and Sarah was walking on the, on the wall. You know, that was right beside me. I tried to hold her hand. T- typical of Sarah. No, I can do this. She didn't want to hold my hand. And so she kept walking, and so I was walking. And then my, I was lost in thought, and I wasn't paying attention to the fact that the street that I was walking on took, started, went down. But the wall didn't. The wall kept right on. And uh, I lost in thought. Suddenly, above me, I heard a familiar voice that said, Daddy, catch. And when I looked, she had leaped. <laughs> I looked as she was in mid-flight, biggest grin on her face. She was fully confident. I was not going to drop her. Abba had a heart attack, but she was totally relaxed. She knew full well I was not going to drop her. She knew her dad wouldn't fail. And so when you and I pray, we have to have that same attitude. Your dad is not going to fail you. We have to remember when we pray in sincerity, that that activates heaven's strategic air command. And I'll I'll guarantee you the devil shakes in his boots when we go to our knees because he knows God's going to about to do something about it. Let's take a look at number 14. How often should we pray? Ephesians 6.18 says, praying how? Always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that we're on our knees all day long. It means have an attitude of prayer. Be ready. When you run into stuff throughout the day, call in an airstrike. Ask God for help. Put the situation before Him. Any of you ever been to Kansas? Have you ever seen those fields of sunflowers? How many of you have seen fields of sunflowers? I mean, personally, no pictures. How many of you have seen them? You know, when you're out there, if you're out there, how many of you have heard the stalks creak because the flower was following the sun? And you can hear the stalks creak. How many have heard the stalks creak? All right, a few of you have. It's amazing. And that's why God wants us to, us to be in tune and ready. I remember when we were in Wilmington, we were going to put in a kitchen counter, and we had a friend in the church named Brian who had done construction, and, and he knew how to do all this. And so he told me he'd help me. So he shows up in my house, and he's got all his gizmos, his saws and everything, all these tools that can cut your arm off if you're not careful. And um, my wife was always worried about that with me. And she's an occupational therapist, so she deals with husbands all the time. That, anyway, and so, 
I, 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 as we're getting ready to do this job, I, I said to Brian, I said, Brian, let's pray. And he looked at me really stunned. Now, Brian was a member of my church. I remember, I could still see the, he still, he was, he was fastening the belt and he looked at me like, we're going to what? So we're going to pray. And he said, uh, okay. So we knelt and we prayed, said, Lord, please take care of us. And, um, that we do this right, we don't hurt ourselves, and, and then thank you, amen. And he looks at me and he says, why did we pray? Nothing went wrong yet. And I said, I prayed so that nothing goes wrong. <laughs> and I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, I have never thought of doing that. Never thought of doing that. We need to have an attitude of prayer, invite God into every facet of our lives. Number 15, what are some examples of things to pray for? By the way, now that you know about rules of engagement, when God says to you, I want you to pray for this, why is he asking you to do that? Because he wants to get involved. But he needs the human agent to give him permission. So here are some of the things the Bible actually tells us to pray for. One, for the forgiveness of sin. What does that tell me that God wants to do? The other is for the Holy Spirit. What does God want to give us? For deliverance in the hour of temptation and danger, what does God want to do for us? Deliver us. He, he asks us to pray for wisdom and understanding. Why? He wants to give it to us. For the healing of the sick, he wants us to have good health. For the prosperity of the ministers of God. Why? Because the devil has, his, has them in his sights, and God wants to protect them. Uh, for those who suffer for the truth's sake all around the world, and people being persecuted today. For our rulers, for our enemies, for the temporal prosperity, that the work of God may be uh, may not be hindered, uh, for the Lord to vindicate his cause. Th these are the texts. You can look them up for the laborers. If you, you don't have enough laborers, God says, hey, pray for them. I'll bring them. Uh, for the coming of Jesus and for our needs. These are things that God says, will you please present these to me so I can get involved? Is that not cool? But now we got to do something about it. We have to pray. Number 16, if an answer does not come at the time and in the manner expected, what should be our attitude? And again, the psalmist tells us, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. How many of you need your patience strengthened? Every hand should be up. You know, I was thinking of an illustration here. I can give so many. You know, the best position you can ever be in is recognizing your helplessness because only then are you going to go for a source outside of yourself for help. And I am, I am okay with being helpless. I'm good with it because now I can lean on God. And, you know, when I was young, um, I went to a Christian school, but they didn't teach us how to look for a godly spouse the way the Bible presents it. Uh, unfortunately, the influence of the world had impacted the church as well. And so I, 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 I did it the way Hollyweird taught us to, you know, dating the way Holly, Hollywood tells us to. And, and, and I have the emotional scars now from doing it that way. You know, friends, God has a better way. He really does. And so I, I dated quite a bit, and I'm, I'm, I'm not proud of that at all. I wish I hadn't. And uh, anyway, I remember at one point, I, uh, I tried to imagine what Mrs. Wright was going to be like, even look like, by the way. How's that for arrogance? And, and so I made a list. The list was actually a page and a half long, and I wish I had kept it. But I made a list. Can you imagine? This is what she's going to be like and what she's going to look like. And uh, God, in his great wisdom, looked over my shoulder and said, coming right up. Weirdest thing, the girl shows up. 
and I was very unhappy in the relationship. And it was very interesting. It was at that moment that I realized I didn't know what I was doing. That's a great spot to be. And, and so I turned to God, and it was about the time that I was just beginning my walk with God, and I said, you know, God, I really don't know what I'm doing. I really don't know. I, 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 I thought I knew. I really don't know. So I'm going to ask you, will you pick one for me? Because there's something wrong with my picker. It's just not working out for me. So you pick one for me. And I was just thinking this morning, from about the time I had prayed that prayer to the time I met this girl from North Carolina, it was about six months. And uh, a friend of, uh, I was in the education club at La Sierra, and a friend of mine, one of, the, one of my fellow students named Jane, uh, Janie, had a friend from North Carolina who, had, in fact, she'd recruited, helped the recruiter come over to La Sierra and uh, was going to bring her to the social. Well, Janie got sick, couldn't make it, so I asked our other friend, Angel, to bring her, and Angel was coming to Calkins Hall to pick me up. So it, Angel comes in, and as I, meet, I go down there, and I, and I, I, I meet the new girl, and I think, yeah, she's kind of cute. And then she talked. I love that draw. I thought, ooh, I like her English. And uh, so then we show up. We go to this, um, to this, to the gathering. And I was watching her. I watched the way she carried herself. She was, she was very, she had a very personable way about her. Yet there was dignity in the way she carried herself. She wasn't giddy. She wasn't silly. She was very comfortable with herself. She wasn't trying to impress people. And that really impressed me. As I watched and I listened, she had no idea. I, I, was, I was just watching and listening. I've learned something, by the way, that the moment everybody knows how they feel about each other, everybody puts on airs. Dating today is the biggest joke of deception possible. It really is. I watched, and I wanted to make, I wanted to see what she was like in her natural setting. Okay, and as I listened to her, I, I listened to her value system. I remember her making a comment one day that when she works, she works as though Jesus is her supervisor. Can you trust an employee that has that attitude? How cool is that? I was really impressed with this. And um, so I, I was, uh, anyway, the Lord began to impress my heart that she was the one. And of course, that scared me to death. And um, but I kept watching, and I remember I used to come up with these, and God was just revealing, communicating to me. She's the one in different ways. And one of the ways, you know, I used to come up with these really lame excuses to show up at her dorm. You know, I didn't want her to know that I liked her. I didn't want anybody to know I liked her. And, and so I was thinking, okay, oh, yeah, I can use that. And so I, um, uh, one of my friends told me that someone was in there. She was sick, and I go, okay, I know she's going to be at the dorm if I show up then. And so I went over there, and she was sitting on the ground, on the floor doing her schoolwork and listening to some sappy radio station. And, uh, and so we started talking. Now, on the way there, I was talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord, you know, I just want somebody that understands that relationships take work. I, I don't want somebody with their head in the clouds and, and doesn't have a realistic understanding of what relationships are about. I'm really looking for somebody who understands relationships take work. So that was what I was thinking on my way there. So I'm talking to Sue Ellen, and as we're talking the DJ comes on and she says some sappy thing. And, and when she's done, Swellen kind of looks at her at, at listens to the radio and then she continues her schoolwork and she says, you know, I'm just looking for someone 
who understands that relationships take work. My teeth about fell out of my mouth. I mean, she had echoed exactly. And God did this time and time again. My friend, God knows. what. And, and you know, I want to add one more thing right here. You know, people say, and I believe this is true, 99.9% of the time, that, that there is no one person for you, that you can marry anybody. You know, not, not just anybody. But there are several people out there, given where you are and your, your convictions, your religious there are different people you can marry. I do not believe that's true for me. When, when I look at my life, how broken I was, I didn't know how broken I was. I had no idea. And as the years have passed and I've reflected over my life, I, cannot, I could not see me be successful, successfully married with anybody that I had known growing up. It would not have made it. There was one girl for me. And what's so amazing is that I was praying this in North Carolina, I mean in, in Southern California. In North Carolina, there was a young girl who went to her knees and asked God, to bring the young, the young man into her life. Now, if God had told me, hey, you know, George, I got the girl for you. She's in North Carolina. I would have said, there's like 7 million people in my county. How in the world am I going to find this girl? But is anything too hard with God? No. Six months later, he had her right there. We were in the same gathering, social gathering. Six months later, one end of the continent to the other. God has his ways. Look, friend, I don't know what you're praying for. God has the answer. And however impossible it may seem to you, it is not to him. And, and so whatever it is you're looking for, whatever you're asking God to do, God has you on the docket. He has the timetable. Keep praying. But there's something else evidently he wants to be working on and be, until he gives it to you. Be faithful and go about your father's business. Keep praying, but go about your father's business. Anyway, number 17. What if I don't pray just right or worse? I don't know what to pray for. You ever been there? You know, what if I don't pray right? Oh, well, take a look at this. Romans 8.26, it's so encouraging. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which we cannot be uttered. Can, can you say amen to that? Even if you don't have the right words, there have been times in my life where my heart has been so overwhelmed with grief, I fall into my knees and I've said, I don't even know what to say, God but get involved, do something. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit sends that prayer up to Christ. He translates it. And when it gets to Jesus, it's exactly the way I would have prayed it if I knew how to pray intelligently. And then then Jesus presents it to the Father. And there you see the triune God working for us. Right there. Nothing to fear. So what we've learned in the holy place is how to remain a Christian. It's asking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. It's spending time in the Word, and it's spending time in prayer. This is how we maintain our walk with God. Now, I want to end with an appeal. Like Israel of old, dear friend, are you willing to spend time with your heavenly best friend at the start and at the end of each day in prayer? How many are willing to do that? Raise your hand. Praise the Lord. You know, before we go into prayer, I want to give you a quick commercial break. In our next study, next week, we're going to look at, we're going to step back, and we're going to pull everything together we have learned, and we're going to learn how God gives us victory over sin through the sanctuary. You don't want to miss that. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that in your word, you teach us how to approach you. The sanctuary tells us that this is part of our walk with you to commune, that you are a personal God, an intimate God that wants one-on-one time, that the big things as well as the little things matter to you. If it matters to us, 
that matters to you. If it's on our radar screen, it's on your radar screen. Thank you for being such a personal God, so much so that you call us your children and you ask us to call you our Father. Lord, we're so grateful that when we approach you with an honest heart, that all the resources of heaven are available to us. Thank you that like a wise father, you know how, when, and where to provide the answer that we need. Lord, I pray that all here today are encouraged in the understanding that that is who we serve. Bless each in their commitment to spend time with you this week and beyond. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.